Hey everyone, welcome back to V Brown Bag US. Um, tonight we have Shane Walton presenting on Data Center Unified Fabric. A few quick show notes. Uh, get in on the conversation. Follow at V Brown Bag or at V Brown Bag Latam or at V Brown Bag EMEA. And uh, our Twitter hashtag is hashtag V Brown Bag. So if you have any questions for us during the podcast or after, make sure you use that hashtag V Brown Bag. We actually have a few different uh, regional V Brown bags, if you haven't heard. Uh, one in the APAC every other Thursday, 10 p.m. NZDT. One in EMEA, um, currently running the VCP NV series, which is Tuesdays, 7 p.m. BST. Latin America, Thursdays, 7 p.m. PDT. And of course, the US, Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Central. Our guest tonight, like I said, is Shane Walton, at Shane underscore Walton on Twitter. And our host tonight, we have a new host, Brandon Graves, at Brandon uh, G08. Uh, I think I messed that up, but it is 08. Um, Brandon, say hello. Are you there, Brandon? Sorry. Tell me. <laughs> hello, everyone. <laughs> All right. And I'm Lauren Malhoy at Malhoy. Um, and uh, I will pass the ball. Over to Shane. All right, Shane, do you see it? I, I do. Can you see my screen? We can. You are good to go. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you very much for having me again. Uh, this is the CCNA Data Center series. Uh, this is the third one that I've done. This is Data Center Unified Fabric. My name is Shane Walton, and I am a Data Center Solutions Engineer. Today's agenda, we're going to continue going over the 649.16 test, introducing Cisco Data Center Technologies. This is the second test in the CCNA Data Center test group. Uh, today, we're going to be describing data center bridging and fabric fiber channel over ethernet. We're going to describe virtual interfaces and fabric extenders, and then we're going to do a little bit into uh, fabric channel over ethernet multi-hop. As always, this is introducing Cisco Data Center Technologies. Uh, most of the information for this course can be found in the introducing Cisco Data Center Technologies official cert guide. Uh, it is in its third printing as of September 2015 and can be purchased individually or as part of the official cert guide, which is what I did. Introducing Cisco Data Center Technologies is comprised of six distinct groups that are going to be tested to a certain weight. Uh, the last two weeks, we've done Cisco Data Center Fundamental Concepts, which is worth 30% of the test. Uh, today, we're going to do Data Center Unified Fabric, which is worth 20%, and it's going to be finished today. Uh, then we're going to go to storage networking, which is worth 18%, where somebody's going to be taking over, uh, followed by unified computing for 17% and data center virtualization at 14%. Uh, there's also a 1% block of data center network services, so they can ask you an annoying question about something you're not going to want to know the answer to. Okay, describe data center bridging in FCOE. Data center bridging is basically a protocol for allowing the fiber channel protocols to be able to communicate between DCB-enabled switches and other devices. The uh, traditional Ethernet protocol doesn't support the transport characteristic required to implement storage area networks. Uh, you have to have the ability to provide lossless traffic delivery. Uh, 
a necessary bandwidth and traffic priority services in order to make sure that the fat, the storage traffic can get to and from its locations without any any delay. Uh, the following enhancements to the Ethernet protocol were defined in order to meet the demand for unified fabric implementation for network and storage traffic that are going to be transported over the same links. And they're all part of the data center bridging protocol. First one is priority flow control, which is defined by IEEE 802.1QBB. Enhanced transmission selection, which is defined by IEEE 802.1QAZ. Uh, quant quantized congestion notification, defined by IEEE 802.1QAU and the data center bridging exchange uh, defined by IEEE 802.1AB, which is part of the LLDP class, and it has TLV extensions. The TLV extensions are type, length, and value, and it provides the ability for uh, additional capabilities for the, the data center bridging exchange. Priority flow control is because Ethernet protocol doesn't have any guarantee of delivery. Um, Ethernet typically relies on higher level protocols such as T TCP to transmit loss, retransmit lost traffic. And it identifies, defines the flow control mechanism under the IEEE 802.3X standard. The, that standard actually provides the ability to pause frames for the entire physical link and require, has absolutely no ability to selectively uh, pause class of service, which is, FC, which is important for FCOE. Uh, the priority flow control provides losses Ethernet transport services for fabric channel over Ethernet, and it enables per class level per class of service level pausing uh, based on per 802.1 class of service levels. Uh, so basically, what can happen is, is as the picture implies, is the data is coming into the fabric channel forwarder and is passing it across the Ethernet link. When that second switch gets it and it actually fills its queue, it can send a pause frame back to the original switch telling it to, hey, stop sending me more traffic, because it doesn't have the ability to, to drop packets. FCOE is supposed to be lossless, so it will actually queue up. It'll send a pause frame back to the, 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 in the first switch and wait to empty its buffer to, base, to send it an unpaused frame so they can start sending traffic again. And that behavior can cascade across the entire network. So if you're talking about multiple hops between multiple data center DCB enabled switches, uh, that can cascade all the way back until it reaches the source and the source will actually stop sending the traffic. Uh, enhanced transmission selection. It enables optimal QoS strategy for links between data center bridge capable switches and bandwidth management for virtual links. Uh, it can create priority groups that allow traffic belonging to the same priority flow class for, to a uh, service to be treated individually and differently. Uh, the bandwidth allocations are based on minimum guaranteed bandwidth, not a maximum guaranteed bandwidth. So uh, you can still have that bursty traffic. So in this case, if you're looking at the traffic coming in, assuming that we're allowing four gig for land traffic, three gig for storage traffic, and three gig for server traffic, as the first timer hits, the hits, it gets sent over here for three, three, and three. So it's nothing's being being changed is allowing all the traffic through. As the timer two hits, and we're still sending three gig of traffic for the two the first two classes, but we've raised the third class to four gig, uh, it expands to, to fill that void there. Uh, on the third one, when the server cluster traffic drops to two gig, but the storage traffic remains the same, but the LAN traffic goes to six gig, uh, we still get the full three gig available. Uh, we only consume two gig, and even though it's a 10 gig link, 
the land traffic can, even though it's guaranteed four, can go to five. Not the six, it can go to five because it's been guaranteed four, but the other two were guaranteed three each, and one of them didn't use one of them, so that it'll just equal 10 and it'll consume whatever is available in its, in its class. The, uh, the default behavior of uh, Cisco switches supporting DCB standards is assigned 50% of the interface bandwidth to the SUE no drop class. Quantize congested notification. So with QCS, the PSD, which enables you to throttle down transmission for no drop traffic classes between two adjacent capable switches, uh, QCN does it slightly differently. It's defined by IEEE802.1QAU, uh, and it applies congestion notification directly towards the source uh, without inter using the intermediate switches. And it uses a source MAC address for that. So what it attempts to do is, in the second hop here, it m maintains a congestion. So what it'll do is it'll send a, a QCN message straight to the initiator, in this case, telling it that you know, you need to slow down. It doesn't send it to the intermediary switch, it sends it right back to the source, and that is gonna be based on the MAC address. Uh, that way it can only affect certain parts of the network causing the congestion. The, uh, the wrinkle with QCN is that since FCOE protocol operates at layer two and is encapsulated in ethernet, uh, the, it has a function called MAC address swapping. So the fiber channel forwarders, as it goes from, from point to point, decapsulates the ethernet frame, looks at the fiber the, the fiber channel for frame and then makes a forwarding decision, then it re-encapsulates the fiber channel frame with new ethernet headers. And when it does those new ethernet headers, it actually inserts its own MAC address as the source and the next hop is MAC address as the, as the destination. So uh, it's more like routing. So in a normal layer three, network with uh, IP switches. Uh, each time it goes to the, through, a, through a routed hop, it's gonna replace the IP header with the source and destination. When it gets to the end, with the MAC addresses between the beginning and end, when it gets to the Slayer 2 MAC swapping, it's routing on a perb hop basis, but it's using the MAC addresses. Not all Nexus switches are capable of supporting QCN because it doesn't have a lot of value added when compared to priority flow control. Since it's already going to be doing the MAC address swapping, priority flow control goes hop by hop, whereas the QCN, uh, if it goes to an intermediary switch because of MAC hopping, MAC swapping, it's going to hit the, the very last, the very the very next the intermediary switch regardless. It's, it can't go back to the source. Data center bridging exchange. It's a negotiation and exchange protocol between the FCOE initiator and target and the DCB capable switch or between two DCB capable switches. Uh, typically the initiators are always are gonna usually be a server. Uh, targets will usually be your storage array. Uh, it's an extension of the link layer discovery protocol defined under IEEE 802.3AB standard. And it performs a number of discovery functions on adjacent switches and, and endpoints. So it looks for configuration mismatches and it negotiates link parameters. So it's gonna negotiate uh, behaviors for priority flow control enhanced transmission selection, uh, network interface virtualization, and it's gonna monitor logical link up and up down and make sure they're successfully negotiated. Hey Shane, uh, got a question here. Is it, sure. I'm maybe a little behind, but is it a higher latency COS of NCAP and DCAP, or is it a line rate? I missed the first part of the question, what is that? 
um, is higher latency uh, COS of NCAP and DCAP, or is it line rate? Uh, as far as I'm aware, it's line rate. Uh, I'd have to look it up, to be honest with you. It's probably, and it might be different on a platform-by-platform -platform basis. Okay. So Fiber Channel over Ethernet is where Fiber Channel protocol has been wrapped in, eth in Ethernet headers. Uh, Fiber Channel protocols established as one of the more reliable, best reliable and best performing protocols for storage traffic. I'm sure that's going to cause some people some consternation in different camps. Uh, but realistically, from a storage standpoint, uh, Fiber Channel is the, the Cadillac of, of the protocols. Uh, Fiber Channel over Ethernet simply uses the Ethernet transport to forward the fiber channel frames across the unified fabric. Uh, the SOE standard leverages traditional fiber channel protocol, but allows it the flexibility of running on top of the high-speed Ethernet fabrics. Uh, it's an essential building block of the Cisco unified fabric architecture for converging network storage and traffic over the same Ethernet network. So the fiber channel overnet logical endpoints they're responsible for the encapsulation and de-encapsulation functions for the FCOE traffic. Uh, when FCOE, with FCOE, they don't alter the higher level of the protocol stack, so they, they remain fairly unchanged. Uh, to higher level system functions, FCOE appears as a standard fiber channel network, which allows all the tools in the native fiber channel environment to be used in an FCOE environment. Uh, the environment has five layers, starting at layer zero and working its way up. Oops, sorry. The uh, physical layer, and the transmission protocol layer mapped to OSI layers one and two, uh, and then you have some FCOE mapping. Uh, beyond that, at the higher level, uh, those are going to be identical to the fiber channel protocol. Uh, FCOE works on port types. Uh, each port type has a specific role in FCOE solutions. Uh, they map very closely to the ports that are in a standard fiber channel uh, network. Uh, they have SCOE E nodes that are either initiators or targets. So initiators, again, are usually going to be your servers, and targets are always probably going to be your storage arrays. Um, the E nodes are going to prevent a port that they call VN port type that connects to a virtual VF port. So the VN is for yeah, network or node, and VF is for fabric. So node, node ports connect to fabric ports. So in this picture, a uh, virtual node port is connected to a virtual fabric port, and this virtual fabric port is connected to its node port, and this is providing the connectivity between the initiator and the target storage array. The same behavior on the Cisco MDS 9000 switches uh, in traditional fiber channel. Uh, you have the end ports to the F ports, F port to the end port. They perform basically the same the same function. Uh, the first hop switches, like the Nexus 5000, can operate in either full fiber channel switching mode or in FCOE NPV mode, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more in, in a little bit. Uh, and again, the SOE port types closely resemble the traditional fiber channel port types. And there are there are several other port types that that we'll probably get we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, FCOE e nodes, they're a combination of the logical endpoints and fiber channel protocol stack on uh, converged network adapters. Uh, they create at least one VN port facing a VF port, and each VN port has a unique E-node MAC address. It's dynamically assigned by the fabric channel forwarder during the fabric login process. Uh, that fabric-provided MAC address is 48 bits and it consists of two 24-bit fields. One is the FCOE MAC address prefix, which is FCMAP, and the fiber channel ID. 
there are 256 FCMAT values that are available you know, in, in order to be able to provide non-unique fiber channel ID addresses. Uh, the recommendation is to not build different fabrics into the same v, VLAN for FCOE just to avoid the duplicates and having to use the FC, FCID addresses to ensure that the FCMAT to make it sure that the FCID addresses are unique. The fiber channel forwarder, it's a logical fiber channel switch entity residing inside an FCOE capable Ethernet switch. Uh, it provides the intelligence to enforce not only the fiber channel protocol, but also along the forward, but also the forwarding path and makes all the forwarding decisions between uh, itself and, and other data center bridge switches or targets and initiators. The uh, FCOE fiber channel, fabric, uh, pardon me, fiber channel forwarder is responsible for host fabric logins and encapsulation and decapsulation of the traffic. And usually there's going to be at least one, possibly more logical endpoints that are internally in the switch to attach the fabric channel forwarder to the Ethernet switch itself. The FCOE encapsulation, the main part of this is that it's, it's, it's wrapped in a normal Ethernet header, layer two header. So the FCO packets must exchange in the context of a VLAN. There's an there's a H.1Q tag as part of the header. Uh, FCOE VLANs are going to be mapped to fiber channel vSANs. So vSANs for fiber channel work a lot like uh, VLANs, and it's a way to to separate your domains. Uh, the next block of storage is probably going to talk a lot more about vSANs, but generally they're a way of, of separating out different different storage domains. Um, Nexus 5000 switch FCOE requires a dedicated VLAN. You can't use a VLAN for a, a FCOE VLAN and something else. Uh, it has to be dedicated to, to, the, to that function. Uh, an FCOE frame can be up to 2180 bytes, so jumbo frame support must be enabled. And the Nexus 5000 series switch requires the manual creation of a class FCOE default system class prior to enabling the FCOE. And that's because when the FCOE is enabled on the 5500, it defines an MTU of 2240 bytes to that class. Uh, so it has to be there for it to do that, uh, that assignment when FCOE is turned on. FCOE has an initialization protocol. It's the control plane protocol that's responsible for establishing and maintaining fiber channel virtual links between pairs of adjacent FCOE devices. Uh, establishing virtual links has three primary steps. Uh, discovering the FCOE VLAN, uh, discovering the MAC address of the upstream fabric channel forwarder, and performing fabric login and discovery operations. And it runs continuously verifying reachability. The VLAN portion for discovering VLAN is not part of the standard. It doesn't have to happen. If you manually create the FCOE VLANs, it won't do the discovery. Converge network adapters. Usually they're gonna, you're going to see them in servers as a PCI Express adapter. It's going to contain the functions of a traditional host bus adapter and a network interface card in the same card and form factor. Uh, CNAs are also available in mezzanine form factor for blade systems. And they're required to operate at 10 gigabit per second or, or more. Uh, they are presented to the operating system as two separate devices. So uh, in traditional server networking, you're going to usually have a, a host bus adapter, and it's going to have its own driver for fiber channel, as well as the NIC was going to have its own fiber channel, its own Ethernet drivers. Uh, same thing with the CNA. Even though those functions are combined into a single hardware card, 
uh, the operating system treats those as separate entities and uses distinct drivers for each. And with, so with CNAs, both network and storage traffic is sent over a single unified wire connection from the server to the upstream first hop access layer switch for fiber channel. So FCO speed, uh, with the Ethernet speeds increasing at the pace that they are, uh, we're already looking at a fairly decent uh, rollout of 100 gigabit Ethernet now. Uh, it compared to fiber channel, it's gotten it's, it's take, gotten a lot more adoption more quickly in terms of higher speeds. Um, hey Shane. Sir. Yeah, we have a question for Graham. He's asking, is fiber channel over ethernet routable? And if not, what's the max number of hops? It doesn't do routing. The, the routing on fiber channel is usually done by, the, you can do a function called inter vSAN routing. It's a function in, of, your, of, your, of your fiber channel switch. Uh, it doesn't do routing, it only does layer two. I'm not aware of it. No, he was asking about fiber channel over ethernet. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, there is okay. no, there, so there's a direct correlation between the two protocols and as far as I'm aware, there may be a, a upper limit to how many hops that it can do. I don't know exactly what those are. We, I can look them up, but, and it may be different on a platform by platform basis. I'm not sure if the protocol itself has a defined maximum number of hops. But most likely, it's going to be the same as traditional fiber channel. And that domain, the, the scaling of that domain is going to be based on the, the fabric IDs and the domain IDs. All right, so with the fiber channel speed, with 8 gig fiber channel, they have a different encoding scheme. So even though the 10 gig F FCOE is only 2 gigabits per second, higher from a you know, rate standpoint, uh, the throughput is actually 50% more than the 8 gigabit fiber channel. And then when you start getting into the higher, the higher rates between 16 gig and 40 gig, uh, the 16 gig fiber channel uses the same encoding as 10 and 40 gig, uh, but it's only 33% faster than 10 gig, and 40 gig is 30%, 300% faster than 16 gigabit fiber channel. Uh, the throughput is just scaling, and it's gonna continue to grow with ethernet. And virtual interfaces and fabric extenders. So the fabric extender architecture with FCOE, uh, the FEX provides an extensible and scalable fabric solution based on IEEE 802.1BR standard. It's a, a bridging standard. It provides adaptive server and server adapter agnostic architecture. It simplifies in operations with investment protection. Uh, it provides a single point of management and policy enforcement. Uh, scalable one gigabit Ethernet and 10 gigabit Ethernet server access, uh, low and predictable la latency, extended and expanded switching fabric access layer, and reduced power and cooling. Well, one of the things that the FEX do well is it, it acts as a extended line card. So the intelligence is at, on the, in the parent switch and all of the features are located in the parent switch. So as you make your configuration changes and you enable features, those features are automatically going to be drilled down into whether it's the, the hardware effects or the adapter effects. Uh, that 
gets pushed down into those fabrics. So with the 200, the, the Cisco 2000 series X, it's a hardware appliance. It's, it was an extension of the unified fabric to the top of rack. A lot of times you'll see Nexus 5000s or 7000s, maybe in a middle of row or an end of row implementation. And rather than having to spend the money to put a series of five, 5500s on the top of the racks all the way down, uh, you can do fabric extensions by deploying these Nexus 2000s, whether it's 2232 or 2332 for 10 gig or 2248s for one gig. Uh, and and spread them all the way down throughout your data center and extend that fabric. It allows you to create a unified fabric with a single point of management, the head end. The physical effects interfaces are represented as logical interfaces on the parent switch. All your operations, administration, and management functions are gonna be performed on the, on the parent switch. And the effects have no local switching capabilities. So all the traffic is gonna be forwarded to the parent switch. So that means is that even if you have a fabric extender, and we'll say it's a, fabric extender 101 and it's connected to, to an up, up, upstream switch. The port one and port two might have two servers that are communicating directly to each other, uh, but their traffic is still going to leave the FEX, go to the parent switch and come back down. Uh, there's no local facility for the FEX to transfer that data from one server on one port to another server on an individual port, even in the same port group or on the same, the same FEX. Um, it can be attached to a single parent in straight through, uh, it can also be connected to multiple parents in a VPC topology. In straight through FEX attachment topology, the FEX is connected to a single parent switch. It's going to manage the FEX exclusively and provide all of its features. Uh, the FEX can be connected via a single link or through a port channel up to the maximum number of uplinks available on the FEX. Uh, most FEXs are going to come with four or eight uplinks. Uh, the uplink interfaces that are going to the parents, which are going to be known as the network interfaces, uh, downstream facing interfaces to the, that are known as host interfaces. And as long as a single network interface uplink exists to the parent switch, the FEX is going to remain registered. And the number of network interface connections is going to directly determine your oversubscription. So in this example, for oversubscription, we have a Cisco Nexus 2232 PP. It's going to have 32 10 gigabit host interface ports and eight 10 gigabit network interface ports. So the total number of amount of bandwidth facing the hosts are going to be 320 gigabits per second. And the most bandwidth you can have going north upstream is going to be 80 gigabits per, per second per second. So if you fully populate the host interfaces and you have a single network interface connecting to the parent switch, your subscription is going to be 30, over is going to be 32 to 1. Uh, if you go to two network interfaces, it's going to drop it to 16 to 1 and so on until you get them all to 8 and 4. You're going to want to do everything in powers of 2, uh, otherwise you're going to have a, a bad hash algorithm for uplinks. Uh, you want to use as many <clears throat> Excuse me. You want to use as many network interface uplinks as possible with FCOE effects to reduce the pause frames and overall slow storage connectivity. Uh, FEX straight through has a scenario called static pinning. Uh, static pinning is where we're going to map 
the host interface ports to specific net network interface uplinks. In this case, if you have a network interface uplink fail, the FEX is going to disable any host interface that's been pinned to it. Uh, so servers attached to the host interface is going to see their Ethernet link go down, triggering a failover if the failover is available. In this example, all eight links are being used northbound on the host interface on the left. Port 5 is going to be part of the pin group to network interface 2, so most likely 1 through 4 is on pin to 1, uh, 5 through 8 is going to be pinned to 2. So when that interface, when that link goes down, uh, this server, which happens to be on 5, is going to lose that link and it's going to have to fail over to the other fabric extender. <clears throat> and in this case, if there are four servers on it, it's going to lose all of them. Uh, if they're connected by that second interface in a different pin group or if they're on a second FEX, they're going to maintain their connectivity from the failover. Uh, if they're connected via a single link to the disabled pin group, they're going to lose connectivity until that failure clears. And the reason why they, they sometimes do static pinning is because it maintains the oversubscription ratio. So every time, every for the eight links here from the 32, every four are going to be tied to a network interface. No matter how many links you lose from the network, uh, you will lose the appropriate amount of host inter host interfaces uh, to maintain that same subscription ratio based on how many uplinks that you physically have working. You can also do dynamic pinning. Uh, in that, mode, in that pinning mode, you're going to use a port channel that's going to be used to pass traffic between the FEX and the parent switch. Uh, failure of a single port metal doesn't bring down any of your host interfaces. Uh, if a port channel member does fail, the traffic crossing the FEX is just going to be cached across the remaining members of the port channel based on whatever hashing algorithm you've chosen. Uh, that behavior reduces the overall uplink bandwidth, and which is why it would create a, a, a higher oversubscription rate. The oversubscription the oversubscription rate is, is important, especially when you're talking about combining uh, fabric channel over Ethernet and, and your regular Ethernet traffic, because uh, now you have to account for both classes of traffic. You have to account for uh, the bandwidth being used by your regular network traffic, especially your servers that are going east-west, but also your, your servers that are using the, the storage infrastructure. It's all going over the same wire, so uh, you have to account for all of that and your oversubscriptions, if they grow too high based on failures, you can start losing uh, connectivity and have slower storage networks. You can attach it to two parent switches that are participating in a VPC domain. So in this case, you're going to have redundancy from each FEX to two different parent switches instead of having them singly home to uh, one upstream switch. Uh, both parent switches are going to manage the ports on the FEX and provide its features. As long as you have a, a single link to one parent switch, it'll maintain the FEX registration and it'll keep all the host interface ports enabled. Uh, VPC FEX topology doesn't support static pinning. Since they're going to be using port channels to connect to two different switches in a VPC domain, uh, it's going to treat it as a single link and it's going to load balance across them. Uh, in this case, for them to maintain connectivity and, and register with the parent switches, uh, there's a certain number of configuration parameters that have to be identical on both parent switches, including uh, port channel mode for the ports, for the FEX ports, uh, link speed for the port channel, duplex mode, uh, trunk mode, uh, the spanning tree protocol mode, the spanning tree protocol region configuration if you're using MST, uh, the enable or disable per VLAN state, static tree, static, spanning tree protocol global settings, uh, quality of service configuration and parameters. Uh, and 
in turn, servers that are capable of establishing port channels off the fixes can use VPC connection to a VPC connected fix. And that's a dual layer VPC, and those, that's going to be what they call enhanced VPC. So now you're having a VPC down to your server to the fix, and then from the fix to the parent switches. We are also going to look at FCOE traffic pinning in an enhanced VPC topology. So in standard fabric fiber channel, traffic is usually going to be split between two distinctly different fabrics and they don't ever meet. So in FCOE, they want to, they want to, they suggest that you do the same thing. So you're going to want to pin FCOE traffic from a specific effects to a specific parent. So to do that, you have to enable FCOE under a single different effects on each parent switch. So in this case, side A is, 5500A, uh, and each of those, it's good, it has two FEXs connected to it, and it's going to be FEX 101 and FEX 102. Uh, since they're both connected to it, we want to be able to pin FCOE traffic A to this side and FCO traffic B to this side, and so they won't transport the trans across these links to the parent switch. Mm -hmm. To do that, we have to go into each of them, and under the FEX configuration, we have to enable FCOE on the parent switch just for the FEX that we want to have FCOE traffic coming to the parent switch on. Adapter effects is where they virtualize the PCIe bus and present virtual adapter to an operating system for both network and storage connectivity. It can be connected directly to a parent switch or connected to effects. If it's a effects connected to another effects, it's referred to as a cascading effects topology. Uh, there's no licensing on the 5500 to support adapter effects, uh, but it does. It is a feature set that has to be installed and enabled. To install it, you just install feature set virtualization and install feature set, and then enable feature set virtualization. And this virtualization allows you to have your FCOE server connected directly to the parent switch, connected to effects, connected to a, a straight through group to a single switch or to the VPC domain. The adapter effects allows the accentuating of virtual network interface cards to the server interface mapped to a virtual Ethernet interface on the upstream switch. Uh, this enables you to create features such as ACLs, private VMs. Hey Shane. Sir. We got a question from Graham. He's asking any minimum version of NXOS. For the virtualization? I'm not for adapter FPX. Yeah, I'm sure that there, there is a minimum one. I'm, I'm going to guess it's somewhere around 5.2. I'd have to look up the exact one depending on the platform. All right, so I'm going to have to look it up a little bit later because it's not coming right up for me. 
So before the EV interfaces can be created, the physical Cisco Nexus switch is going to have to have a VN tag mode on each of its physical ports. The VN tag mode is going to allow the virtual network tags to come through and enable uh, multiple virtual ethernets to be bound to a specific physical interface on multiple on different channels. Um, the data center bridging exchange protocol is also going to have to run between the Nexus switch interface and the connected server. <coughs> Excuse me. Once the VN tag mode is activated, the server starts to include network interface virtualization capabilities, uh, type length value fields, and its data center bridging advertisement. So it's gonna, that's how it's going to pass the information between the two devices and the adapter effects to start uh, either using the manual configuration to, to create the adapters or the dynamic configuration to create the adapters. To provision a virtual Ethernet adapter, you can do it either statically or dynamically. Uh, static adapters can be configured on the switch in advance, so they don't you don't have to wait for the server admins to do their part. You can configure them in advance, and when the server admin joins the channel with their and creates their Ethernet interfaces, the interfaces on the switch will already be there. Uh, they're going to have to have a channel, a specific channel, and they got they have to match between the switch and the server. Uh, dynamic adapter effects provisioning is going to be based on port profiles. And port profiles are communicated to the CNA through the VIC protocol. Um, usually the dynamic virtual Ethernet interface numbering is going to start above 32768. Uh, to provide static virtual Ethernet interface provisioning, <clears throat> you create the virtual interface, provided a number, and then you bind it to a specific physical port and assign it a channel. Uh, to do that to all your virtual interfaces can be prone with human error, so they suggest performing, performing port profiles. Uh, port profiles can be configured once. They, you provide a port profile type V Ethernet, uh, provided a name. In this case, this is going to be NIC VLAN 10, and then you provide it the configuration. You tell it it's switch port access VLAN 10, uh, switch port mode access, and enable it. Once it's enabled, the dynamic provisioning goes into play. You can inherit the, tell they inherit the port pro profile, uh, whether it's VLAN 50 or VLAN 60 in this case. Uh, you provide them separate channels, and but you can bind them the same interface. So in this way, you can have the same physical interface on the switch support multiple virtual Ethernet interfaces in different VLANs. Virtual fiber channel interfaces are the equivalent of, to regular fiber channel interfaces. Uh, they can be shut down without having any effect on the virtual NICs interfaces, on this, on, on, even though they're on the same CNA. Adapter effects, virtual NICs and HBAs are separate logical entities, and they must be bound before they can be used. So what happens is uh, you must create the Ethernet physical switch in v with a VN tag. You create the virtual Ethernet, in this case 10, uh, bind it to a specific physical Ethernet on that channel, uh, make it a trunk, and then allow VLAN 50. VLAN 50 is going to be the FCOE VLAN. And then for the virtual fiber channel interface, provided the virtual interface virtual fiber channel 10, uh, you bind it to the Ethernet interface and turn it on, and that maps it to the Ethernet, which in turn maps it to the vSAN. Virtual interfaces can have redundancy either in the OS or outside of the OS. 
uh, but the adapter effects allows for failover that doesn't involve the operating system at all. Fabric failover is available on Cisco UCS Blade and Rack servers. <coughs> Excuse me. The, uh, each VNet can be associated with both physical interfaces on the virtualized CNA, uh, create the same VN tag and the same VN channel, channel to each of the physical interfaces on the converged network adapter and the VETH interface. Uh, for, but for FCOE connectivity, the instantiated HPOs don't leverage fabric failover functionality because it's still going to maintain the separation. Uh, we got a question. Sure. Are only Cisco physical CNA supported or third party ones like QLogic? Are we only talking UCS only? Uh, in terms of the exam, we're talking UCS only, but there are QLogic and MULA. Make adapter effects that are are certified to go into the UCS servers, and there's probably a few others, but those two are the bit larger ones. So with SCOE, we've talked about the fiber channel over Ethernet when we're talking about maybe a single switch being in between this, the the initiator and the target. Uh, there's also multi-hops, so sometimes you're going to have a, a much larger scale uh, fabric channel infrastructure, um, and it needs to be able to scale, and it needs to be able to support fabric ch channel over Ethernet uh, across multiple switches. So multi-hop unified fabric carries network storage traffic in a converged manner across an Ethernet beyond single-hop topology. Um, various topologies exist. For multi-hop, uh, these topologies offer consolidation at different tiers of the data center. Uh, the first one is the first hop access layer consolidation. And in, the access layer cons in this access layer, the consolidation reduces the number of adapters and switching platforms to accommodate network and storage connectivity. So where normally you might have a, a multiple HBAs, ports, and multiple you know, network adapters going to uh, a different switch or a different fiber channel switch. Now they're combined in a unified wire and carrying both FCOE VLANs and data VLANs to the switch. Uh, for larger environments, the network the Nexus 7000 switch can be used for direct server connectivity and it has a VDC function from what we talked about last week with the storage VDC with shared adapters. And with a shared interface, as the servers are sending the data and the SOE VLANs northbound on the unified wire to the shared interfaces, uh, the switch does a ether, ether type lookup, and if it's an FCOE or an FIP ether type, it's going to send it directly to the storage VDC, and if it's any other ether type, it's going to send it to the data VDC for the network traffic. At the aggregation layer, the consolidation occurs when the aggregation layer is going to be processing both network and storage traffic coming from the access layer. And normally, in this case, with a larger environment and multi-hop, uh, it may be a spine and leaf configuration where the, the aggregation layer is pulling in multiple leafs from the access layer and aggregating all of them in tandem to deliver a scale-out unified fabric solution. The aggregation layer Consolidation is typically achieved by leveraging a separate set of cables between the access layer and the aggregation layer fabric, fabric switches. But to support multi-hop FCOE behavior, access layer switches have to employ one of three modes of operation, uh, either FIP snooping, uh, end port virtualization, or full fiber channel switching. 
FIP snooping is a, a traditional fiber channel node, logs into the fabric via point-to-point -point links. But in FCOE, there might be multiple hops, and normally it's going to be point-to-point, -point, but when there's multiple physical hops, it'll be a logical point-to-point -point connection. Uh, but there is an opportunity, because of the multiple physical hops, that someone could do uh, fabric channel forwarding max spoofing. So the snooping feature helps prevent man-in-the-middle spoofing attacks. The FIP snooping bridges are capable of inspecting those messages between the fabric channel over Ethernet server and the fabric channel forwarder. And then it's going to da dynamically create an access list to ensure that those communications remain point-to-point. -point. But it's very limited in terms of Cisco switch support. I think one of the only Cisco switches that support it, I believe, is the 4000, which is a blade switch for an IBM blade center. FCOE NPV is an enhancement of FIP, FIP snooping functionality, and it still provides the secure method to connect the FCOE capable host to an FCOE fiber channel forwarding switch. FCOE MPV doesn't have the management troubleshooting issues that are inherent to managing hosts from the fiber channel forwarder because the fiber channel over Ethernet MPV implements FIP snooping as an extension of its function and it enables communication through fiber channel and FCOE ports at the same time. They also don't consume a fiber channel domain ID. So when you're doing fiber channel networking and you have um, multiple switches in the fiber channel domain, each switch that's doing full fiber channel switching is going to consume a domain ID. Uh, those domain IDs are limited. I believe it's somewhere around 256, so it reduces the scale. Uh, the end port virtualization function is going to allow that to not consume that ID, and it's going to virtualize the floggies from the inbound servers at the access layer and, and forward them up to the fabric channel forwarders at the aggregation layer. Enabling the MPV feature requires a license, uh, and there are two methods to enable it. Uh, the first method is the scary one. If you want to enable FCOE and then enable MPV separately, uh, from the goal of config, you can type feature FCOE and feature NPV. The problem with this particular feature is if you do it that way, it is going to write erase your switch and it's going to reload it. Uh, to enable them together, you can just enable feature FCOE NPV and it will not re reload, erase and reload the switch. Under full fiber channel switching, the switches are going to use a virtual edge port between the unified access and aggregation layers. The VE ports are going to interconnect the fiber channel forwarders and the multi-hop topology of the unified fabric. Uh, the VE ports are capable of carrying multiple vSANs, so they should be defined as trunks if you're going to do multiple vSANs, and therefore inter-switch links. Uh, these are fully functioning fiber channel switches that participate in the, the fiber channel fabric and pass information to and from the forwarding and can be you and they're going to collect zone information for the initiators and the targets that are allowed to talk to each other. In order to configure a port VE port channel and trunk configuration, in this example we're taking physical interface Ethernet 1, 1 to 2 and creating a port group out of it giving it port channel ID number 10. Uh, 
under that port channel, we're going to switch port mode trunk and allow VLAN 5, which is the, the, the SOE VLAN 5 that maps directly to vSAN 5. Then we're going to create the virtual fiber channel port channel, give it ID of 10 and make it switch port mode E. We want to be able to eventually do multiple vSANs over it at some point. So we're going to make it a trunk, but we're only going to allow vSAN 5, which maps it directly to VLAN 5, which is the SOE VLAN. The steps are going to be done on both sides, but to maintain separation, you're going to use the different FCOE VLAN as well as the different FCOE VSAN ID. Dedicated wire versus unified wire. Uh, servers leverage unified wire to run both network and storage over a single cap physical cable. And a multi-hop FCOE connectivity, a lot of times they're going to leverage a dedicated wire approach and that's where the network and the SOE storage between the access layer and the aggregation layer are going to have separate physical links one physical link for network traffic and separate physical links for SOE traffic uh, using the dedicated wire gives you some advantages as far as better over traffic over subscription management for the storage traffic and it gives you a little bit more room to uh, treat the traffic types differently and provide better monitoring and better better management of the traffic. It also lets you do gradual introduction of FCOE into the larger environment, so it'll help you with investment protection. You can run dynamic FCOE over Fabric Path. With Fabric Path, it's going to create a logical rather than a physical FCOE side and an SOEB side for traffic segregation. Since it's using Fabric Path as its underlying transport, it's going to be able to efficiently load balance multi-protocol traffic throughout the data center. And, dynamic, and, and under dynamic SOE, it's going to establish a relationship between the switches. So the possibility of human error and configuration problems are, are going to be uh, minimized. And as a leaf, a spine leaf configuration, as you scale out the data center and you add more switches and more capacity and more links for more bandwidth, uh, it's going to have a better profile for high availability as you increase your scales. The dynamic, dynamic virtual links in FCOE, all the leaf nodes are going to function as fiber channel, fiber channel forwarders. And it's going to transparently establish an overlay between each of the leaf switches to all the other leaf switches with a virtual link topology for the over the fabric pass bind nodes. Uh, the fabric pass bind nodes are not going to participate in any of the SOE process. They're really just there to facilitate the virtual point to points for the VE ports between all of the leaves to all of the other leaves. Uh, the SOE frames are forwarded between the fabric path leaf nodes based on their outer destination MAC address. And SOE fiber channel forwarders implemented by the Cisco Fabric Path leaf nodes are going to be part of the virtual link overlay topology. So in this way, uh, all of the leaves are going to participate with each other, and they're going to use the transport of the Fabric Path at layer two to uh, get to each other over the spines. And so they're going to be able to use the shortest path first compute across all the virtual links and ensure forwarding decisions for the FCOE traffic as far as crossing the virtual fabric. And it designates both ends of the FCOE virtual links as port type VE. And those ports are going to be encapsulated with Ethernet 
and have MAC addresses that are used as a source destination for encapsulation and, and forwarding. Dynamic virtual fiber channel interfaces. Every FCOE fiber channel forwarder leaf node is uniquely identified by a global fiber channel forwarder MAC address. <clears throat> Every fiber channel over Ethernet fiber channel forwarder leaf node floods an FIP unsolicited multicast discovery to the all fiber channel forwarder MAC address. All fiber channel, sorry, I'm losing my voice. All fiber channel forwarder leaf nodes receive the multicast advertisement on the corresponding VLANs and determine the mode multipath upon receiving it. A dynamic virtual fiber channel interface acting as a VE port is going to be created between the two fiber channel forwarder leaf nodes. Then the dynamic virtual fiber channel interfaces are going to be differentiated based on their uh, interface ID range. And then all fiber channel forwarding leaf nodes are going to be one logical hop away from each other with a default FSPF cost value. <coughs> And this final slide is just showing that the integration between traditional fabric channel and fabric channel over Ethernet can still be run over the least fine technology. Uh, dynamic SOE enables interconnectivity between traditional fiber channel and SOE nodes. Uh, we have a storage array, which is a traditional storage array inside A and side B. These, it's running, these are going to be running traditional fiber channel as well as SCOE so that fiber channel over Ethernet servers can participate in the unified fabric with traditional fiber channel. And that was it. I'm sorry that, that uh, <clears throat> ended a little bit early. I guess that makes up for the hour and a half I went last week. I guess we don't have any questions for tonight. Yep, I'm sorry, I'm just losing my voice, so it's difficult to talk, but I appreciate you guys having me, and uh, I hope that you uh, get us some, uh, some good information out of it and, and pass the CCNA data center at some point. Yeah, thanks for being here and presenting tonight. Learned a lot. No problem, thank you everybody, and have a great night. All right, good night, everyone.